0: Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thanks for tuning in. I love you all. You're great. Hey, today's guest is Ryan Spielborgs. Spilly, as he's known, to friends. He is a color commentator for AT&T Sportsnet Rocky Mountain. He's the color commentator for Rockies games. And he also appears on SiriusXM's MLB Network Radio as a commentator in that form. And uh, was a pretty darn good Major League player. Played for the Colorado Rockies, among others. Uh, also played in Japan for a little bit. And man, what a great conversation. He came to my house, which I always appreciate. Uh, and we got into all the stuff. The Joe Morgan letter sent to the BBWA about PDs and uh, guys who should be admitted to the Hall of Fame. Spilly and I talked about that. We talked about minor league union, the possibility of that. That's a really big issue for me. Uh, I am a union supporter in all, in many respects, in many different industries, but certainly in sports, i management will trample all over you if you don't have representation of some kind. Certainly that's the case in baseball. Certainly that's the case with the minor leagues. So we got into that. And, uh, a whole bunch of other topics, the mortality of being a ball player, what it's like in the clubhouse, all of those good things, along with some Vin Scully stories too. Uh, Spilly's really great, smart. All that good stuff. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, i got to get his Twitter handle because I'm no longer on Twitter, but I will tell you in one second as I'm doing this. You can see that this show is extremely seat of the pants. No, not at all. Uh, Ryan Spillborg's on Twitter is SpillyGoat19, S-P-I-L-L-Y-G-O-A-T-19. You can follow him. You cannot follow me anymore on Twitter because I'm out, but uh, you can check out Spilly there. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you have um, uh, lost touch with me or whatever and wanted to get with me, on social media in some form, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore, uh, because of the time involved and wanting to focus on other stuff and, and, uh, family and work and all that. Uh, just hit me up on web, my website. Go to jonahcary.com and uh, you can contact me through there and I'll be happy to answer you, uh, whatever's up and all that good stuff. And I appreciate your support on this forum and every other. Uh, and you can also follow me, my stuff at CBS Sports. I've got a column coming out soon about the Hall of Fame. Every year I pick the guys that I believe should be in the Hall of Fame on the current ballot, and I also get into the Joe Morgan uh, letter and uh, some reactions to it and all that good stuff. So uh, check all that out, and uh, check out this edition of the Jonah Carey Podcast with Ryan Spielborgs. It's a good one. We are literally recording right now. No, is in my house. I like this place. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great.
1: <laughs> I feel like uh it, it's so weird when we get into the off season. Yeah. Because being like a TV baseball broadcaster, it goes from, you know, like there's a time that I talked to an NFL guy mm-hmm. and he goes, how do baseball players get paid? And I go, well, we get like, checks we 11, get, we, right? yeah, we get checks throughout every two weeks. Yeah. He was like, no matter what. I was like, yeah, that's the beauty of a guaranteed contract is that we get yeah. paid, you know, no matter what throughout the year. He goes, what? You don't get paid after every game? Because that's how NFL guys get paid. Yeah. Did you know that? No. So Mondays or Tuesdays, if you were on the roster, an NFL guy gets paid. He gets his money after playing a game. Wow. So it's the same. Now I feel like I'm in the same kind of. NFL type player mentality because (laughs) TV broadcast, I only get paid if I'm on, if I'm on the, if I'm on television. Oh, so you're a contractor. You're not a salary I'm an independent contractor. So now as soon as we get to October, I feel like the, the squirrel in winter that either saved up a whole bunch of nuts so I can make it to March or I'm out outside starving. So that's, I'm kind of in that, uh, you know, where you're just counting and like, I think I saved enough for the next. Three months. Wow. But I do radio too for, uh, SiriusXM, MLB Network Radio. But it's, uh, it's still funny, like, people get it, and, uh, I think as, as you and I are, like, getting into, like, adulthood. Yeah. You kind of understand. Just it. now at 43, <laughs> yeah. I'm just starting adulthood,
0: that's literally true. <laughs> and
1: that's what I'd say, it's like, it's so weird, I'm not a major leaguer anymore. Yeah. I'm a broadcaster with children that go to school, and then I'm, I'm having to, like, figure out finances for, five months which is so strange i'm so not good at it do you have a guy yeah i mean everybody has a guy right but um yeah i have a guy and he's like stop spending so much christmas is coming up
0: it's funny because you mentioned the hibernating for the winter Spilly's usually in good shape he weighs about 290 pounds right now he's literally <laughs> he's actually put all the chestnuts in for the winter he's just like he's got the winter coat he's big yeah i'm feeling, feeling big he's um, well, I mean I wanted to go I often go in chronological order, but I find that interesting the transition. So we can get to the how did you start? Like where tell me about high school ball oh, probably, yeah, make yeah, yeah. But, but let's let's start with this, this the transition from uh from being a player to now, It's been a, a few years now, but mm-hmm. how does that go? I've talked to other guys who've been kind of recently retired. I've also talked to like Bill Walton, so I mean he had old perspective, <laughs> but like what is it is it depressing when that happens? Is it is it What do I do now? How how does your brain fire that way? It's like, oh, last year I was hitting 270, and now I'm not a player anymore.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Some aspects of of not playing ball anymore. I still dry swing in front of the mirror. Do you? And then my kids are like, why are you working on your baseball swing? And then I'll do a golf swing. (laughs) I mean, we we just find ourselves, and I'm sure there's so many retired guys, that uh, when you're done doing a sport, you still go through, I guess, the – pantomiming like the stuff that you used to do, right? Like catching a fly ball and throwing so or, many reps. Like millions
0: <laughs> right. of reps. How do you stop?
1: And so I don't. Yeah. Like I still find myself like working on my swing in the mirror or like pretending I'm I'm Justin Turner or or like doing my Tulo swing or my Nolan yeah. Arenado swing. Like I I like see these guys and how I learn from broadcasting is like, can I still do this stuff? Hmm. That's been my biggest transition Is I miss the game. I miss the game a lot, but I'm also – I don't miss the grind of it. Right. Like, you hear guys talk. I don't miss about – I don't miss the workouts in the offseason. I was never a big workout guy. I did it because it was my job. Yeah. And then I wanted to outwork everybody. It was a weird – it was weird because I'm not – like, as soon as I stopped – Playing baseball, it wasn't like I'm a workout nut. I'm not Gabe Kapler. I'm not one of these guys. Oh that, God. <laughs> that's exactly the right example too. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not like I'm not in it, and it's not. Gabe's a very healthy guy. He's you know major yeah, yeah. of the Phillies, but yeah. like there's part of it that's that's part vanity. There's part of it that's part functional. Yeah. I don't feel like I have to be funct- functionally athletic to go to the supermarket or <laughs> take my kids so no, fall. it's falling so like all that all the stuff like the minutiae of like getting yourself ready for a major league season yeah. now that that's gone that weight of preparing yourself yeah it's it's like a nice release like that i don't have to think about all right tomorrow i need to wake up at 7am I have to do my workout for three hours. I have to go stretching. Then I'm going to go hit. I know i got to pick up the kids at three, but I really need to get these extra – like when life and family and baseball and business and, all right, next year it's going to be my third-year arbitration. Like what kind of numbers do I have to do? Who's the young guy coming up? I'm 31. You know, like Mm -hmm. all those thoughts, which you shouldn't have in your head. You should be like, I'm really excited to play next year. Yeah. It's it's so much more, and once you kind of transition, that's gone. Which is, it's a nice release. But but as I said earlier, it's there's still aspects of it as a broadcaster. Can I do what I'm talking about? And I've actually thrown it out there a couple times because I played in winter ball for so many years. I played five years in Mexico mm. that I was really tempted to get myself in some sort of plane shape and play another month or two months of winter ball this year. I just wanted to because this year I was, I was actually considering. Wow. Just, How old are you know. I'm um, 38. Okay. Uh, I still think I could, I could give you like one quality at that. Okay. But, but the, the idea was cause I, I talk about, you know, the mental stress of hitting and, and looking for pitch sequences. And then like, as far as what am I doing on the bases? I wanted to kind of put myself back in the shoes again Yeah. to see if what I was saying was actually true. Because we, we count so much of our recollection of what we did. Yeah. Do you really know, like, how you go about, when you were writing at 23 years old, how you went about your process? You can't
0: remember it. No. But you can go ask Tapia or Cargo, like, <laughs> tell me tell me what it's like. You could just ask the current players, too, and you're not that far <laughs> removed that it would be weird. Anyway. No, I know, but you
1: also, I mean, part of when you're, when you're in our, our chair as an analyst, yeah. it's that... I'm not regurg. I don't want to regurgitate everything, sure. because then what's the point of me even being up there? Yeah. I have to relive my personal experience and kind of relate it. Mm. Uh, so that's why I was saying I was like, it would be really fun to go back and go, all right, when I'm in the box, do I
0: actually think about this? Do I think about twisting my back foot, standing up tall? Like you should well, do this. I want to, or like some sort of really high level. Pro ball, like I mean, play with uh, what's his name uh, with um, Andy LaRoche and the the baseball stars, the you Kansas could, City Stars. You could do that. There's also like Matt Replinger's team, like that. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, the Denver Browns. The Browns who are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you probably be the best player on the team, but still, like, I mean, there. You could do that kind of stuff. It's out. There. I just
1: want to do something where I think the, the pressure that I want to feel is the pressure of earning a paycheck. Yeah, uh, doing it every single day and then knowing that at any point you could get released. Like, that's the pressures I want to feel. Huh. Instead of just knowing that I could show up on Sunday or Saturday, play with a group of guys, be the best guy on the field, yeah. I want to kind of, I want something to matter. Yeah. You know, I want I want the pressure of it mattering so that, because that, that gives me the best sense of what it feels like to be a professional baseball player. Because, I mean, for example, we just watched this hung... Uh, what's his name? Pittsburgh Pirates shortstop that got arrested for DUI. Yeah, Jung O'Gung. Yeah. Jung O'Gung. He went and played in Dominican. Yeah. Good player. He yeah. just got released. He was like 11 for 83 with 100 strikeouts. Yeah. He got released. He's a major league player. Yeah. I want to feel that pressure. That So that's what I'm saying. Like, if I was to go back and play winter ball, uh how quickly would they let me continue to play and and how quickly would I get released is kind of necessary for me to put myself exactly back in the shoes where I felt like I could give, like, proper uh, analysis when I do the the baseball games.
0: It, well, it sounds like the challenge of it, too, just that that was a big part of it. And Michael Jordan, you know, he left and then he came back to the Wizards. It's like, I missed it. I missed feeling that feeling. Miss being around teammates. People often cite sure. that, too. Can you re- – recapture any of that when you're in the box with Drew? Or, you know, if somebody hits a walk-off and you really nail your analysis, I mean, or is it just you have to accept the fact that from now on you're going to have a job and you'll be good at it, but it's not going to be like, whoa, you know, the fired up thing. Like, Is it over now? Yeah, it's definitely over. Uh, I felt, you feel some
1: emotion to the players because we spend so much time with them. Yeah, I also think that also needs to be noted, the difference between a national job when you're not I guess beating the path with the guys on a day by day basis, it becomes such a fine line in, in in our in our line of work because the the people that listen to us and, and that's a part of the, this whole broadcast thing still blows my mind. Vince Scully said it best. He was like, "We are actual guests in people's homes every single night, yeah, and talk to them like you were having family dinner with them." And I didn't realize that. I was like, "Whatever, Vin." Uh, <laughs> until the first you, time anybody yeah, said those words. Whatever, man. <laughs> um, and and I go and I meet somebody on the concourse. They're like, "Hey, do you know my wife, Margaret? And here's my son, Bobby, and Jane." It's like I've never met you in my whole life. Oh, that's right. Sorry, we watch you guys every single night. You're mm-hmm. a part of it. And when you hear that, you go, "Oh man." And so, just understanding that little part that people are paying attention what you say also carries over to when you're doing the walk with the players. That you understand that the parents are watching and the wives and the girlfriends are watching. And it's not to new to ourselves from saying things that are critical. It just it gives us a better perspective that these are humans and that what we do say matters. And that we can't be off in a bubble somewhere else and, and just say these things without feeling any sort of remorse because whatever you can't say, look, words hurt. If I say something about somebody that's that's negative, that's personal, it hurts. We're, and we're watching this day and age with so, so, social media;
0: it's crazy. Oh yeah, players know they'll confront you. They'll the whole David you. Price Dennis Eckersley thing. It's Dennis freaking Eckersley, <laughs> it's the Hall of Famer. Yeah. Price knows this, but he's pissed off because who are you to m- bad mouth me? And that and so when you go back, do I feel emotion when
1: these guys win and walk off? Yes, I feel emotion because we walk with these guys, Ooh. and I want to paint these players. And I'm not painting uh, as if that's something false, but we get to know them on such a intimate level right. that of course when Nolan does something or Charlie does something or someone does something great, you're like excited for them because yeah. we're friends with them and we're, we're partners. And, and that part, like, yeah, I get excitement when a guy hits a walk off, but it's not the same as if it was my
0: actual teammate. Well, I imagine if you're saying something negative, first of all, you want to avoid like ad on attacks. <laughs> so if, if Nolan, is in the two for 20, you wouldn't say, well, Nolan sucks now, which, first of all, isn't true, because he's the best. And secondly, I would imagine the best approach is to look at him mechanically and say, he's two for 20, either we just came off of a day game after a night game in St. Louis, or maybe the guys, which could be where you come in, is struggling mechanically. Nolan swing, which you know very well, Well, he's a doing this. A lot of this. moving parts. Yeah, he's dropping his head, whatever, and then you can analyze it and not say what a bum he is, but you know what? If Nolan gets... This hip turn—that's when it's going to start clicking, and you'll see it. And then if he does, then you've been proven yeah, right. I would assume that's the way to go. It's
1: exactly right. Yeah. But you're, you're still with the mob mentality. I mean, we we just saw what happened in Tennessee with uh, with the mob mentality with social media trying to get someone's head for a job. It's when people when people start getting like spilly. Just he's two for twenty. He sucks. Yeah. Just say he sucks. He sucks. Like that's the mob mentality. They're like just. Be negative where you keep telling me about, for example, last year with the Rockies, it was Carlos Gonzalez. Yeah. Cargo, it was, he sucks. He sucks. He's old. His swing's terrible. He's brutal. He's not the same guy. And we're pointing out like, no, there's some mechanical issues here. Yeah. Like I'm picking up on him. Oh, is he finally coming out of his slump? You just, just admit it. I'm tired of hearing this argument. He sucks. Like, just let it go. And he was like, no, that's not true. Just watch as soon as he gets the timing down or, um, for example, it was, it was a grip with his hand, you know, like mm. he, his hand was wrapped and he couldn't get the barrel to the ball. And we pointed that part out and I was like, that's, that's such BS. You guys are just copping out with more and more mechanical stuff. He's two for his last 75, you know, like right. he sucks. He's over the hill. And then he gets the hand figured out and he, Starts sleeping better and eating better and whatever mental stuff the guy's going through, too. Yeah. And he clicks. And he's like, oh, my God, this guy's so good right now. (laughs) you're like, see? But there's only so much that you can do because people in general, especially on a day-in, day-out basis, the guys that pay attention to this every single day, because baseball is different than other sports. It's a grind for the fans, too. For sure. And so when a fan's watching a week of terrible at-bats from one of their stars, they're like, just say He sucks. Just tell us he stinks. Like, just tell us that. Yeah. And we can't.
0: No. It wouldn't, it's not really productive either. Uh, I have a whole bunch of playing day questions. Three of them came up, and I think two answers ago. So, first of all, um, you talked about the offseason and working out and how you, you would do it, but it wasn't sure. like you weren't like a gym rat by any means. You played in the P D era, and, mm-hmm. I, I, and you've never been a big build. You're an athletic yeah. guy, but you're not a huge guy. Yep. Was that ever daunting to you? Obviously, you made the decisions that you made, but when you looked and you, you see this other dude on your team or another team, and he's, he goes from 190 to 225, and he's this and he's that. Did that weigh on you, or was it just like, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm a 300 hitter with an on-base profile anyway, and I'm never going to be that guy, so who cares?
1: Such a, I it's such a, it's a tricky question, sure, uh, and it's one I've answered many times. And by the way,
0: I like Barry Bonds. I'm totally fine with steroids. I am. I wouldn't say that I'm pro steroids because I understand that if you do it and you don't do it, I get the whole player thing and it becomes difficult. But I still think of the game as a fan, and Bonds was, well, I can swear he was a cool motherfucker. Like he was yeah. the best. So whatever. But I'm not in the trenches. My paychecks don't depend on me beating out the next guy who might literally be juicing. Yeah, so I mean that—that's a lot. That's a lot there. I
1: yeah. want to get in the Hall of Fame voting with you because Jeff passed in the other day. When yes, really I, I'm, writing
0: a, I'm writing. A, I'm writing. I'm 80 percent through my article, and we're going to talk about that. So that it okay, takes another way in. Yes. Good. I want. I want to get on. And that. Jeff and I are friends, and I, his column was very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting take. So yeah. let, let me go to my personal thing. Mm. I think at at all levels, as a as an athlete, you're always looking for an edge. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in in college. There was creatine it took creatine when it, when you get to the next level even in pro ball yeah um, there's a period in where guys were going to GNC and taking this like red antler stuff that was supposed to mimic HGH yeah right like so you hear about these things and you know guys are taking it and, and even going as far as like watching um, not just steroids and to me steroids and in amphetamines or greenies, Adderall, Ritalin, all these things kind of coupled together as giving an S. Yes, yes. So, so I like, agree with
0: you. So And everybody did amphetamines. The, the unleaded and leaded. And Joe Morgan's like, well, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame King. Okay, number one with the girl. Oh, number, God. Number two. Horrible. That's already your disqualification. <laughs> number two, he bet on baseball, which you cannot do. And number three, he sucked down amphetamines like nobody's business. And so did Willie Mays and so did a lot of other people. But Pete was known to be like greenies up to his eyeballs so anyway continue
1: yeah uh and p rose by the way go to hell uh um, yeah, right. as soon as i found out about the statutory yeah the you're, there's no road, coming back yeah, you you I don't, do there's eight. no debate I, and, I, and I, I don't i'm not shy about that either no. um as far as like amphetamines go did i ever take a green of course i took it in mexico a, a, in winter ball yeah um i noticed the difference did i ever carry that over to the major leagues no uh for some reason, and I don't, I literally, I have no moral compass. I, I know I don't. Yeah. But there were certain aspects of competing against other people that I felt there were lines that I could not cross. Mm-hmm. Um, one was taking steroids. I just physically couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, even when approached by people like, hey, do you want, you know, like I knew guys in college that were taking it. And I was like, well, how do you do it? And High school. Like, High school, I never met anybody. Really? Uh, I, I came from Santa Barbara. There was no like steroids Beautiful there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm all okay. Last time you <laughs> saw a surfer dude take steroids. Uh, but no college, I mean I knew some college guys that were taking it and I was like, Well, what do you have to do? And I was like, Well you inject it. I was like, I'm terrified of needles. I don't yeah. know I'm doing it. Yeah. I'd be like, Well there's there's oral versions of it that Cream you can take. Care, yeah. And I'm like, I can't afford that. So I'm just gonna work. I'll just work. And I w- I was never in a position where I was hurt. Or that I looked at taking steroids as a, like, a monetary gain. And yeah. I never looked at it as, as I need to take this thing so I can make this X amount of money. Yeah. It was just, how am I competing on this plane surface? Am I par with everybody else? Am I still better than everybody? Yeah. Then I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, where it really started to bother me was when, you know, and, and the... I'm not afraid to say the guy's name either. When when I, I looked at my career path,
0: uh-huh.
1: my career path and Melky Cabrera's were identical. Yeah. And at the same time that he chose to take his PEDs, I did not. Yeah. So this was 2010. Yeah. So I was heading into my second
0: year arbitration, which ended up being my last year. And 09 was your big year when you hit, like, 320, right? I I
1: mean, I I so did was, okay. 2009 as was As I much. said, I, yeah. had
0: the, I had the Stratomatic card. I had the <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Stratomatic card. There was one year two, when you were obese. There was one
1: year I was good. Like 415. Ma- ma- yeah, the or something. majority of the years I was average. Okay. But so I was going into my second year arbitration. I get plantar fasciitis. At the same time, this guy, Melky was, look at our numbers, our career numbers from... 2005 to 2010 were literally identical. Huh. He goes and takes whatever he took, ends up uh we all remember, you know, the batting title that he won with yep. the with the Giants and then he gets disqualified, but he also helped the team win an All-Star game and home field advantage goes to that, whatever. But I ended up during that time frame I had plantar fasciitis and had I had taken an, a drug or lived on amphetamines or anything like maybe I got an extra year. Yeah. Maybe I got an extra like opportunity to, to prove myself because Melky ended up signing a two year contract with the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. He's already, you know, he, he was able to take advantage of <coughs> cheating and the steroid abuse. And and for me, it wasn't the numbers that the numbers that Melky could put up. He still had to do it on the playing field. It was the opportunity that he bought himself yeah. by using that. And for me, because I'd never had these, these huge bumps in my numbers, and because I played hurt, like maybe physically I would have been in a better situation for the next year to give me a little bit more time uh, to get back to where I was. And so that part, and I've sat in front of high school and I said, you know, the, the worst part of, I don't think that steroid use or amphetamine use in major leagues has been properly, not vetted, but punished. Because I I get there's always gonna be those guys that that took something over the counter and they test positive and you're banned for a year. Like that's yeah, yeah. probably not fair. But I, I used to say to people in high school, I've never thought I'd ever say this, but I was like, at some point I regret not taking something mm. because it, it had nothing to do with money. It, it was just, I wanted to go out on my own terms, not going out on an injury and then just not being good. right? You know, like I would have loved to have had that extra year in the major leagues to prove my value like Melky got. Mm. Like I would have loved to have had that opportunity. And Melky's still playing. Yeah. Making money. Making money. a lot more yeah. money. And so look, that, that part to me. I wish I could, I played ten years in the big leagues. I played five and a half. Um, do I think if I cheated I would have gotten to ten? Probably. Yeah. Hmm. And so that part that part makes you think like, damn, like maybe I should have. But then, you know, when I'm preaching to my kids, like, gotta be able to look yourself in the mirror, this, that, and the other, like have a stance in life on it, you know, like have have lines in the sand that you're not willing to cross and and make sure you hold up to that so if i'm saying like hey don't take steroids or don't cheat the game like as long as you feel comfortable with what you're capable of doing that'd be a blatant lie to my kids and yeah. so uh, at the end of the day even if i made money you still have to live with those decisions and i'm and i'm happy that i didn't make those decisions mm-hmm. so I, so i could look myself in the eye but i mean would i like to have my family in a much better financial position yeah. would i've liked to play 10 years in the big leagues <coughs> hell yeah
0: Hell yeah, I would have. I think the guy who, for me, resonates the most of the PED stuff is F.P. Santangelo. And yeah. we saw him, we were in the booth, and I was hanging out with you guys, and he walked in, and everybody likes F.P. He's a lovely guy. And the great story with him was, the 94 season happens, come back to 95, and uh, Kevin Malone, general manager of the Montreal Expos, is there, and he says, all right, this, it was a work stoppage, uh, who you wants to play? You know, to be a scab, and uh, FP says, there, "There's no way, no chance. Am I going to do that? I would never ever do that." FP's been grinding in the minors for God knows how many years. I don't know how many years. And Philippe Bailey, who's the manager of the Expos at the time, remembers this. And when the time comes, that they have a, when they get back to work and they have a call up. They say this guy who's five ten and gets hit by a pitch a lot. Like he's got this weird <laughs> skill set. He's not a power hitter, whatever. But he's a grinder. I'm going to call you up. And FP also did steroids. And it's so honorable to not cross the picket line. It's one of the best things you could possibly do in any profession. Oh, right. To not deny people work, to be able to look yourself in the mirror. But the guy was also playing in Ottawa. for. He's, he's the greatest player in Ottawa Lynx history. That's sort of cool, but it's also kind of not cool <laughs> if you're trying to be a big leader. And so this this split. Where you're like, honor, 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 but man, I just, if I could get to the, if I could even make the big leagues once, you know, the people fixate on Bonds and and Clemens and all that, okay, you know, those guys would have been Hall of Famers with or, with, or Hall of Fame caliber players. No but doubt. Without. But there's so many Sant'Angelo's out there. There's so many guys who would love to taste what it is to play under the lights of Yankee Stadium one goddamn time. That wow, that's gotta be really tempting. And you are a good enough ball player and a hard enough worker that you can make it. And we're talking about a performance level issue as opposed to your literal survival in baseball. That's a tough one. I don't know how you get around it, especially if it's like 1995 and you're in
1: your Oh man. Company. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate FP being a very forthcoming. Very. So, and, and I, I also, I've said this to many, many baseball players and in all the times that I've sat and talked sometimes you're just not good enough and you have to live with that yeah as long as you're willing to understand that i busted my tail i did this certain opportunities weren't there and it's it's a hard thing to tell somebody like i see i see guys come up to the big leagues all the time and they they get a cup of coffee and somebody'll be like man what a bummer we we're not going to see that guy ever again yeah and i go it's not a bummer like he made it, he's just not good enough. Yeah. Like
0: that's not that's not a bad thing.
1: It's not But a... all
0: of you guys were the best player on your high school team, probably the best player on your college team, probably the best player at a ball. You know what I mean like it's suddenly like hit the wall, I'm no longer the best. Yeah, that's it, a tough pill whatever it's, profession it's, you're in. It is it is, yeah. but
1: it's also necessary because that is the that's the right path for how I guess like natural selection, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it in in general the way Life works is you're either good enough or you find a way to survive or you're just not good enough. And I know that maybe it's it's a wet blanket in a bad statement. You're just not good enough. But it's plain and simple, black and white. There's a certain criteria to be a major league baseball player. There's a certain criteria to be a professional. There's a certain criteria to be a great executive, a leader, a yeah. CEO. And if you don't have that, that's not your profession, mm-hmm. and it's it's not a knock on you. You tried to get to that spot, but if you just don't have the talent level to get there, you're not good enough. And then if you understand that, and you go, well, now I'm going to cheat to get to that extra level. Yeah. Well, then that's that's where you should understand. Like, okay, you're actually not good enough, but now you're good enough because you cheated. Mm. That should let you know that it's not the right decision. And, and I like that you point out. I made it to the big leagues. I knew I was good enough, but my only qualm for not taking steroids was that I didn't want to increase my performance because then I felt like I was cheating the group. And by not taking that, I cost myself other opportunities. Yeah. It wasn't like I needed it to become a professional baseball player, get me through to yep. the next threshold. It was just, I'm saying that I, if I was to take a steroid, it was to keep me there longer. Yeah. And I think that's that's a pretty big distinction, uh, and that's also why whenever I look at people in the PED era, do I do I understand it? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at a guy like Bonds and Ramirez and Clemens, uh, do they need it? No. Mm. Do they do it to continue performance over a long period of time? Yes. So I understand their rationale for taking it. Yeah. Roger Clemens didn't take a steroid to become Roger Clemens. He was already Roger Clemens. He took a steroid to maintain himself as Roger Clemens. And so, like, I'm not saying that it's okay, um, but I understand the thought process for them, is that they're trying to grind out that career longer. It's why A-Rod did. It's why Giambi did. It's why all these other guys that have come forth talking about it they didn't take it to become this thing. They took it to maintain themselves as whatever they'd become.
0: Life insurance. Pain in the ass. Blech. It's awful. It is so difficult and complicated. It has been in the past anyway. I had to do it as a father of kids. Uh, what are you going to do? you got to make this stuff happen. you got to protect yourself, your future, your family's future, and all that. But shopping for it is a pain in the butt. Uh, But policy genius makes it easy. Policy genius is a multi-product digital insurance platform that helps people get the coverage they need and feel good about it by providing them with a user friendly experience. It is actually easy to do. You don't need to shop a million places because policy genius does that for you. You don't need to spend a bazillion dollars because policy genius makes it more affordable. It is excellent. So you have to appreciate that. Uh, you have to also appreciate the fact that there's a, they get an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, featured and received praise from a whole bunch of different places, including New York Times and Vox and Lifehacker. And uh, Policy Genius is great. Big, big supporter of them. They're a supporter of this podcast. And you could check out all kinds of insurance, life, and others by going to policygenius.com and making that happen. Check out policygenius.com. And thanks to Policy Genius for sponsoring the podcast. So I guess I'm scooping myself because this podcast is probably going to come out tomorrow in my article on on the Joe Morgan thing, and and the Hall of Fame in general, because I I write a column where I say, these are the guys I would vote for this year. Um, We'll probably come out in a few days. My brief Morgan take is that, first of all, he's saying, well, we shouldn't let anybody in. we got news for you, buddy. There are guys in. I'm aware of who they are. Some of them are not people that people talk about, but I know all about it, and people in the game know all about it. That's fine. Uh, some of them did it to come back from an injury. Some of them did it for whatever reason, but they did it. There's several people. Uh, Pud Galvin, in 1889, took a cocktail, which was a performance enhancer. It was made out of monkey testicles. <laughs> Pud Galvin is in the Hall of Fame right now. Uh, lots of guys did lots of things. You can look it up. Pud Galvin. Um, so this has been going on for a while. So that saying that, he's basically referring to two or three guys that he doesn't like for whatever reason, that's fine, but this is a naive thing to say. Also, the way that the Hall of Fame is voted on, it's I'm not I don't to vote yet, but I will. You remember the Baseball Raiders Association of America. He is talking down to the Baseball Raiders Association of America. He says, You guys don't know, so we I I gotta come in and be the moral arbiter Joe Morgan, by the way, the greatest second baseman of all time. Yes. Uh and tell you guys what to do. Yeah, that ain't going to work, buddy. That's going to backfire. <laughs> Somebody else would be like, "Well, I never voted for Bonds, but six <laughs> votes for Bonds this year screw you, Joe Morgan." So, it it just becomes this thing where and Passon, Jeff Passen from Yahoo gave up his vote. Jeff is one of the most intelligent baseball writers out there. No, no. He's a good guy, he all that stuff and he's just like, "I'm out and we need more Jeff Passens." And so this is not working and and furthermore, I I have one of my very great friends works for the Hall of Fame. Uh, and so I have nothing against him, and the people work there are fine. But the general way that they're doing this, it feels like they're hiding a little bit behind. Them. Like Morgan is flying the flag, and they're not declaring things. We asked the BBWA, we said make it make it from ten players to twelve players on the ballot. They said no. Okay, fine. I didn't love it, but that's fine. Then we said, hey, let's have every vote be public, so we could at least be able to scrutinize people. And they said no to that too. And it's our guys, it's our BBWA guys who are voting and gals. Why would you say no? So it feels like there's like a weird. I love the place. If you've ever been, oh, yeah. the museum is it. incredible. I just went for the induction ceremony this year. My guy Tim Reigns made in Super great. All that's great. But the politics behind it are crazy. Crazy. <laughs> so tell me where you came down on it when you heard about it. You mentioned Jeff. I don't know if you had a thought on that. What did, how does that in relation to your general uh, policy on PDs? Man, I, the is like,
1: I had this conversation with some guys and I said this on, on national radio. Cause I I do MLB network radio three days a week. Yep. And it came down to, I, before Joe Morgan even wrote this letter, hmm. I was, I was saying, I was like, I literally had dinner with a bunch of sports writers and around the a table. I asked, I was like, are you guys voting for bonds and Clemens? And they all said yes. And I go, what? How why? old are they?
0: My age or younger. Probably, yeah. Right. There and go. I
1: go, why? And they go, well, I was like, was it because of Piazza and Pudge and Bagwell and Biggio? They're like, no, not really. I was like, that has that is part of it to do uh, with, with their thought process. And I go, all right, then what was it? He's like, well, I guess once Bud Seeley got inducted into the Hall of Fame, when he's supposed to be the leader, he was the commissioner at the time, and he basically, you know, he had a Hall of Fame career – you can say what you want about him as an executive with the Milwaukee Brewers. He's a fantastic executive with the, mm-hmm. by the way. And then as commissioner, you could say, all right, well, he allowed the game to do what it did and kind of, you know, held a blind eye to it. And so he gets into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame riding the backs of steroid abusers. Yeah. So that door's open now. That yeah. door's wide open, not because of of Pudge and Piazza, who all had the speculation behind him. Mm-hmm. But because if we're going to say that Bud Selig is deserving to be a Hall of Fame executive and in the Hall of Fame, and he, you know, he didn't base his career just solely on the PED era, but it was under his watch. And I and I've always said the same analogy: I go, if I'm driving your kids in a van, and in the back seat of the van, one kid punches the other, and it happens and they get hurt, who's responsible? Me, the yeah, driver. Even if I'm driving, <laughs> looking forward and my hands are tied I can't get all the way to the back seat to stop the fight it's still in my van and so I would I would suffer because of that yeah. and that is how some of the sports writers were viewing bud going in the hall speculation from the other guys Roger and Barry had never tested positive quote unquote for a pd yeah they're in the Mitchell report um you know like where are they supposed to be the judge the jury the executioner that
0: these guys are just saying like i've had enough if these guys are in, these guys are coming in right behind it. There are also no instructions, by the way. And the voting instructions just says there's a character clause. We're left to just float in the wind and do whatever <laughs> we want to do. It's supposed to be subjective because it creates debate. That's the point.
1: So, And and, and that's the beauty. Look, I, I would love it, to be honest, I would love it if Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens had a press conference. They could have it in front of their house with one camera. Yeah. And the question, it's a simple question. Did you or did you not use any sort of steroid? During your career, in the off season, injectable, given to you, yes or no. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yes or no. If it's yes, see it. That's it. You're done. No. Okay, I'm voting you for the Hall of Fame. Hmm.
0: But
1: they, I mean, the fact that they haven't said anything also, you know, for most people, they're like, well, it's proven guilt because they're not saying anything. Why hasn't Bond said something? Why hasn't Clemens? If you if you never took anything, wouldn't you go to the mountaintops and scream? I'm clean, you guys. Right. But they haven't. That's fine. I don't care. I think at the end of the day, when I look at this bonds and Clemens, I know they're getting in. Joe Morgan wrote that because he knows they're getting in. They will. They're fifty at five percent right now. It's either this year or next year. And if it's next year, I don't know how I view the Hall of Fame the same way. Mm. And that's why I think passing probably feels the same way I do. Do is like I don't want to I don't want to be part of this right now. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't want to be a part of it. Um, I don't want to be a voter when it comes down to Bonds and Clemens. Cause if they get in and they're known steroid users and they, you know, they basically sit. And, and by the way, if we're Bonds and Clemens, they have two opportunities, right? They either not say anything and get into the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. or they say something and either solidify their position into the Hall of Fame or they don't. So if I'm Clemens or Bonds, why would I say anything anyways? You're going to vote me in. Yeah. If I don't say anything. I, I, I'm I'm in Passan's group, where if I had a vote, even though I I feel like Clemens and Bonds are deserving Hall of Fame careers, um, I don't want to be the guy that speculates and says, "Well, I know that they did start." I don't. Yeah. I don't know that they did it. And
0: there was no joint drug, uh, joint drug testing, joint drug prevention program until 2006. Right. So like Manny and A Rod. You can make a different case for them than Bonds and Clements. They mm-hmm. failed a drug test. Mm-hmm. I am probably voting everybody in. But if you're going to draw a line, Manny and A-Rod, that's sure. the line. Yeah, that's the line. That's the line. That's this, this is a proper regime. Here are all the rules. I mean, it was the Wild West before. Yes, of course, everybody knew you weren't supposed to do stories. What's this and what's that? You could sort of feign ignorance, and everybody went along with it. And it's fine. Manny and A-Rod's like, hey, dummy, don't do this. We're going to do it anyway. Cool, you're out. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the difference. I,
1: and I agree. Nelson yeah, Cruz, Rocky
0: Caprera, whatever. Yes, yeah.
1: yes, they're, they're never getting in the Hall of Fame. But uh, going back to Bonds and Clemens yeah. is – I think because of everybody outside of baseball looks at these two guys as like the main steroid users, yeah. um, that if you vote them in the, the, the beautiful Cooperstown of name is, is, not, it's not the same. And, and that's, that's going to be the mob mentality that we're going to, we're going to see. And, and that's why I think when Joe Morgan wrote this letter mm. and I, and I don't praise him for it, I don't commend him for it, but I also don't mind it. Mm. I don't mind it at all. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not the pot calling the kettle black, but it, it is is—it's hypocritical. But it's also he's basically saying, look, we're about to lose sanctity of the Hall of Fame if you add these guys in. And, yeah. I, and I agree. I, I think I think he's right. The, the way people will view the Hall of Fame completely changes if Bonds and Clemens get in, right or wrong, or indifferent, however you feel
0: about it. The, the view of Cooperstown changes Completely, if you add those two guys in, split the place into two because the museum is rad. Plaque room's <laughs> cool, but the museum is the best stuff. That there's like a life-size picture of the of the of the Philly fanatic and the San Diego Chicken, oh, and there's yeah. like a Fernando Valenzuela cereal box from 1980. <laughs> and holy crap, that's a Ralph Kiner thing. And wow, there's a whole thing on Jackie and Hank Aaron. Like the museum is so great. And that's so is the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, by yeah. the way. I love the baseball history. It feels like we're talking about two different things, but it all gets. I mean, I know why it gets. Um, so this was something that I was going to ask you separately, but I'll just crib it off of my own podcast and Sweet. pick with my story. Uh, I had told you that I was writing a story about minor league unions, or an attempt to unionize. I, as you probably gathered, by the way, I was talking about FB and scabs. I feel very strongly about this. I'm a pro-union guy in America, in sports, and whatever. If you don't have rights, management is going to trample on you. Well, that is how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I become a zillionaire one day, which is unlikely, but if I did, I'm not going to go to the other side and say, Well, well I don't care. I'm the, I'm the plutocrat now. <laughs> I will always think this way. I will always think this way. So, you've got six guys living in a two-bedroom apartment. You're living on baloney and cereal You are struggling. Um, it is a very hard thing to do. And if you're not a bonus baby and you got a thousand dollar signing bonus or something like that, and maybe you have no hope, it is very, very difficult. Now, there is a line of thought that goes, you signed up for this. You knew what you were getting. You knew that there were a bazillion people trying to get that one job for the San Diego Padres and you knew it and you decided to go into it. Tough luck for you. Six in a two bedroom apartment. You're going to make $650 a month. You're going to do this. You're going to have to, and you have a girlfriend. God knows how you're going to do it. That's your own problem. But the other school of thought is that you are working for a living and providing a service. At the very, very least, you have to make minimum wage because you are a worker, at the very least, and some kind of living conditions. And the difficulty to make, to create a minor league union, it doesn't, these are two separate forms of players. The incentives are totally different for big leaguers. Tony Clark seems like he might know what he's doing. He seems like a smart guy and all that stuff. But what incentive does he have? the guy in Great Falls, because that guy has nothing to do with the guy who's on the Yankees, except that that Great Falls guy has a slim chance of maybe being the guy on the Yankees. These are complicated issues, so I'm looking at it from a moral point of view, and I'm saying, we got to figure out a way to do right by these guys, and everybody else is saying, how are you going to do that? And I've talked to Garrett Brocious, who's kind of the leader, yeah. of, this union, leader of this movement, and he's an attorney, he's not somebody who's going to start a union, there's sort of no good way here, so... How can we get from the moral side to the practical side and make something happen so that people don't have to suffer as they're pursuing their dream?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. I remember in the minor leagues because I was part of the players union, uh, negotiating committee and I was, I was a <coughs> players rep for every single year I was in the, in the big league. So I didn't know that. Cool. I'm definitely a union guy. I'll always be a union guy. That's why whenever I go to New York in the broadcasting booth, I never touch a power strip because the New York union TV guys will kill you for it. <laughs> I it, it is it's completely different. It's a strange set of rules for minor league baseball and even if you were to say all right, league minimum or you know, average uh how many hours can you work? Like do you consider traveling on a bus work? Yes. So do I. Yeah. So when it, when I started looking at okay, if I'm looking at what a work week is for a minor league player, how many hours can I calculate? And if I calculate it, I'm I'm guessing a hundred hours. And if that's the 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 actual number, maybe it's less, maybe it's more. Isn't it under like constitutional law that you're not allowed to work that many hours? So what happens to the whole minor league system? It comes down to three games a week, four games a week. Well, part of the grind of minor league baseball is that you need to do it every day um i do believe that there should be there there has to be a better wage earning system mm-hmm. and beyond that and i and i've said this to owners and i've said this to to executives i go hey everybody has this fantastic spring training facility mm-hmm. everybody does okay. make sure this is year round how's the guys in the off season let them work out mm-hmm. because one of the, one of the biggest problems that we have as players is when we get into the off season I can only train as good as my money allows me. Now I'm totally screwed if I don't have money, because not not only that I'm having to take a part time job, which I did. I was a bank teller and a restaurant worker. I was one of the worst workers of all time. As a what a restaurant was it? There was one here in Colorado called the Village Tavern. It was a steak restaurant, and then I worked at a place called Los Arroyos in Santa Barbara, Mexican food restaurant. But I was a waiter. I would get up early. I work out in the mornings. I would. Sometimes I'd pull doubles and then I'd go hit at night. Wow! Just to pay for training. Guys used to do like coal mining and stuff in nineteen. Yeah. Like, like star players would do that. Yeah. yeah. I I just don't know what the happy medium is. I do think Major League Baseball and they have rules too, where you're not allowed to have the players for this amount of time. So even by saying like, "Hey, just put all the kids in." In in your home training facility in Arizona and let them work out and house them in dorms or whatever. Yeah. They're like, we can't, we can't have them because of the rules have to change. So, but, I mean, there's, you're right. It's a lot of red tape that you have to cut through. Uh, I just think that there has to be a better system because it's it's not fair. I do like, I do like the survival of the fittest. Yes, I think for sure, for I, sure. I, I, and I don't want to take that. Mentality away, but it's the same as in college. Um, you go to college and you're in a classroom, you know, you go to chem one, there's a hundred kids in chem one and only 20% of them are going to get an A, the bell curve. Well, there's incentive to be the top 20% and you work your ass off to get to it. And there's a natural progression, even in college and all the college students are put in the same confines with the same kind of living situations that are fair and equal and it's the ones that grind the hardest that end up being at the top of the bell curve. If you can get a minor league system where it's like that and it's known, then I have no problem with it. But when you have eight guys living in a in a place or you have a Dominican born player um that's, you know, it's
0: not making anything yeah. and he doesn't have any money to fall back he on. Has he has nothing to grew up in a low class family, none of that.
1: So uh, there's got to be a better system. There 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 has to be because it's it's not criminal. I wouldn't say it's criminal. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it's not a healthy environment and that healthy environment leads to a lot more negative off-field behaviors. That's why you see guys having, uh, problems with
0: alcohol and, uh,
1: some sort of abuse. Talk about
0: use, by the way. My early is <laughs> rampant because like survival of the fittest, it doesn't get any harsher than you're in Great Falls, you're 19, you're from the Dominican you have no family. You don't speak the language. You're not making any money. You're living in a What are you gonna do? You know, I'm not saying it's the right decision, but I'm saying, no. you know, but
1: I, and that or from Iowa, or that, yeah. But it doesn't matter where you're from. Yeah. But I mean, I think whenever I look at minor league baseball and I look at Latin American players, and it's why as a as a union member when it was first brought up to us as far as an international um, draft, we said, whoa, 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 no way! Why would we do an international draft? It's not that. It's not that we want to limit these players because we feel like it's not fair. Like, if you look at a Cuban board player, that typically is unfair where they're signing free agent contracts. But also look at where these guys are coming from. Yeah. What fallback do they have if we put an international player on, in a draft where yep. they going to college?
0: All drafts are immoral. That's my position. <laughs> All drafts are immoral. All of them. Every sport, every draft is immoral. Everybody should be free agents. just like if you're a dentist or a dentist, that. or whatever. No drafts. Out. No NFL draft. No more going to Madison Square Garden. We're out. We're done. You're the offensive lineman for whatever. Cool. Any team I want to go to. That's a problem for you Indianapolis Colts because, well, tough luck, that there's no more Indianapolis Colts. Drafts are designed to enrich teams and their owners. It has no bearing on labor whatsoever. It is a way to slot labor in a place where they have as little bargaining as possible. This Shohei Otani thing? That's some bullshit, man. Oh yeah, he should be making a trillion dollars. I don't even have the word for it. <laughs> and oh, he's gonna get the international. He's gonna get the signing bonus of three million dollars. Come on,
1: man. he's the best bonus in baseball by far. I mean, the best bargain in baseball. I've, oh I've my actually, God. I've actually laughed about that. I go, hey, wait, let's talk about Tani for a second because the Tani ones make it really does make me laugh. If he waits two years, he's he goes under the free agent rules and he can make his two hundred million dollars, billion dollars. Yeah, um, but under. Under the current rules as an international sign, he'll the max you can get is three point six, and I believe the Rangers have that or the twins have that. The yeah, Rangers. And it's a minor league contract. So here's the part that I that I love about it is if I'm in uh, if I'm on an owner or if I'm in the 30 ball clubs, every single one should make the bid for the twenty million bucks and then just say, like, I would love to have you on our team. This is why, have your just do whatever. Yeah, the whole yeah. song and dance. You get that guy in your system. You have him as a minor league with three options. You can send him down. You can even hold him back like Chris Bryant or Mike Trout for the first part. If you want to extend him, hold him out for an extra seven years and someone will go, well, that's not fair. I was like, why? I'm helping him assimilate to professional baseball. You have a built in, a built in reasoning for everything. Yeah. It's the best bargain in baseball. I don't want him to come here. I don't. I'm not, i am i if I've actually said, I was like, please don't
0: come. Don't come this year. Come in two years and yeah. just own everything. He just wants to to challenge himself. I mean I guess it's admirable in a way on his part.
1: It yeah, but it it is, but it isn't. I mean it is, it's admirable because I want to see him I want to see a two-way player as a twenty three year old Japanese player. They project him as the the uh the, the And I played against, against him. I played against him. Did you? Him. Yeah, I played against him in Japan. I saw him come from he was hitting six, he's nineteen, and had his swing Similar to John Olrude and it's not well, John. That's pretty no, good. <laughs> hold on. It's because of his mannerisms. He yeah, rests yeah, his yeah. bat on his shoulder and he was quiet, swung inside out. And then I would watch him, he'd play right field, hit six, decent hitter at nineteen in professional baseball. Yeah, right. And then they would the the manager would walk out To the mound and point to the right fielder, which is where Otani played. And then the whole Japanese crowd would sing this Otani song. And he'd just come trotting in, throw 100, run right back out the (laughs) right field. It was awesome. And I was like, I want to see that in the major leagues. I want to see that. Um, But I I don't want to see it to where he's going to get taken advantage
0: of. That's all this is. He's
1: going to be taken advantage of more than any player that we've probably ever witnessed uh, in our time frame.
0: Yeah. The the, the projections, by the way, the fancy stats, they project him. In year one in the big leagues, his pitching stats look like Jacob Degrom. Okay, that's pretty good. That's a borderline Cy Young guy, and his hitting stats are Evan Gattis, meaning low on base but big time power, better than average here. That's pretty good. <laughs> Take that. That's pretty good.
1: And he got. Be- and he only have to pay him league minimum.
0: He's twenty three. He's probably get better.
1: And you just have to pay him league minimum. That's you have crazy, three options. You crazy. can
0: send him down in the minors as many times as you want. What a freaking cartel, Major League <laughs> Baseball. Anyway, um, so about, uh, one more, one more question on the minor league union stuff. And I got a couple more, and then we'll, we'll cut it out. Um, who takes up the mantle if you want to create change? Does it have to be Bryce Harper when he's in the minors? Does it have to be a Santangelo type mm. who's in the minors forever? And is does it have to be? Can it be Tony Clark and just say, all right, it doesn't matter. We're just going to, out of the goodness of our hearts, we're going to do it. Who does this? That's that's sort of what I've run into. I've, I've talked to Brocious about this a little bit. I've got a couple other interviews lined up. This is a story that I've been working on for a while because I really, really care about this. Like more than, I don't care the guy's hitting 280. This is the, when the social issues and the life issues start crossing over. That's what I care about. So who's the catalyst who gets behind this? That that's I think it has to come from Major League
1: Baseball. Yeah. I think it has to be somebody waving that banner first. Can't rely on the owners
0: of the commissioner, so you gotta go to the union.
1: I I mean I would love to see it be a face of the game. I'd love somebody in a in a role like let's say it's John Carlos Stan, just because he's the highest paid player. Sure. yeah. And he goes, I wanna make sure that we start taking care of minor league players and I'm gonna help fund this this cause to create a union for minor league players and I'm gonna wave this banner and then some of the minor league players start falling in line with them. And then you'll basically have a movement with them. I I, I do. I think it ha- has to be a player, a current player. Mm. I always feel like it has to be a current player. I mean, Kirk Flood was a current player that something yeah. happened bad to him. I, I'd like to see somebody in a position as an athlete with a voice with power. Because, mm. I mean, that's, that's where you see them. It's easy to react. It's easy to be a former player and go like, oh, look at the social. It's better to be in the position where you're – I'm an actual player on the field with a voice that is being heard with a salary and this and that and the other. Because in minor league people, people just feel like get to the big leagues and then talk. Yeah. It's it's It would have to come from a group of players that pick up the banner and then offer – to use there. And that's why I think whenever you look at certain athletes uh, throughout, whether it's NBA, NFL, I mean, what JJ uh, Watt was able to accomplish mm-hmm. or even looking at somebody, I believe it was Chris Long that was giving all of his salary yeah. uh, towards a cause. Mm-hmm. If you have players that are willing to stand in front of the group and take whatever comes from that, whatever politics come from it, and then not only take on the cause, but put their money where their mouth is. I'm willing to fund this thing. I'm willing to pay for the best lawyer. I'm willing to help create. I'm willing to give salary for this. That's when people go, Oh crap. Like this is
0: for real. This yeah. guy
1: actually believes in it. I'd like to see that. I think that's a that's probably one of the best ways to get it done.
0: Yeah, a player who stands up for what he believes in and it's gonna affect positive change and it'll definitely go positively because people react positively, like Colin Kaepernick was Oh no, sorry, that doesn't always go that way it turns out. Uh yeah let's – I, I want to get a couple – a story or two from you before we go. And you played in the Mexican leagues for five yeah. years. I'm going to guess there's at least one good story from playing in the Mexican leagues for five <laughs> years. Your bus got stuck in the middle of the road and, and a, a gang descended on you or, or whatever oh, it is. Oh, man. There's some bad ones. There's good ones.
1: There's bad ones. Um, one of each. So one of my favorites – and I told you I took uh, amphetamines down in, in Mexico. The first time I did it was – it probably had to be been like, 2005. Was, I was a young player, <coughs> 25 years old. I, yeah. don't, I don't know any better. Uh, and I'm down there, and in my shoe, like, we would have, a like, a little clubby, and uh, this guy's name was Chapo. Chapo is, is Mexican slang for short. Yeah. I'm like, of course, he's short. I so, Chapo. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like the ma- major drug cartel guy. Yeah. Um, so Chapo, he cleans your shoes, and inside my shoe... I'm, like, getting ready to put my cleat on, and this little green pill pops out of it. I was, like, what is that thing? And I look at Chapo, and I go, because he's, like, waiting around the corner for me to see it. And I go, Chapo, what is this? He's, like, you eat it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ate it. Uh And, you know, like, second inning, my heart's going to explode. And
0: so, I'm, Is it, like, ten copies? Oh, my like God. I, I don't even know
1: however many copies it was, but
0: it wasn't. Colorado's yeah, fine. This is the extent of my drug use. Like, I haven't really done Yeah, it no, th-
1: this thing was the equivalent. Like, I thought I was going to die. And so I come in, in the second inning, I'm sweating. Mm. And uh, Chapo's waiting at the end of the dugout. He's like, spilly, spilly, spilly. And he called me Spilmierda, which means, like, spill shit. So like, <laughs> like, he weighs, I'm 25 years old. I, he waves me over. And he's like, "Estabiana," I was like, no, <laughs> too fast. And he goes, okay. So he pours me a shot of tequila. Yeah, He's yeah, like, here you go. Up or down or, yeah. Bam! So I took a shot of tequila. I was like, okay. He's like, está bien? I was like, okay. So then that, go hit. And then I went and hit and I was terrible. <laughs> I was like, it was too <laughs> fast. I can't, I can't go that fast. But that was my first, my first experience with the, uh, with the greenie was in Mexico with Chapo putting greenies in my shoes. And it was, it was hilarious. He ended up drinking more tequila than he, than you ever do, like, at night at a bar just to play the baseball game. Yeah. Like, you
0: have to find, like, that balance. Well, and I've talked to guys, like, going back, like, Bill Spaceman, Lee, and guys like that who, yeah, upper sounders, and, and you just you look for a cocktail at that point. <laughs> I, I don't even know. How you you're know.
1: It's the fourth inning. It's four to one, and you're taking a shot of tequila in the clubhouse, you know? <laughs> so it's like it's not a good, yeah, it was like, it was not a good experience, but it's one that I had. And so I can always share that with people. I go, yeah, like I, I know what it feels like to have taken an upper for a baseball game. I never did it at the professional level. never did it at the major league level, yeah. but I did it in winter ball. And what, well, you know, what feels like a safe environment. The other one was we were my last year in Mexico, I suffered a hernia, which was awful. Mm. Um, and you talk about like, wanting to get out dodge fast so you're like i got a bulge on my growing area what is that that's like a hernia i was like Well, what do i do i want to keep playing because you, you can play with a hernia yeah and they go well if it gets if it gets worse surgery here in mexico and i was like all right <laughs> see, yeah. see it clouds them out but during that time frame it was like 2011 yeah it was 2011 um is like the drug trafficking and every, the drug wars are getting really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we traveled to this place called Guasave and Guasave was known as like this really bad drug cartel area because it bordered the two drug cartels. Mm. And they told all the players, they go, don't get out of your hotel rooms. Right. Like you can't leave. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to get out of my hotel rooms, yeah, right?
0: Drink
1: so they would sell beers outside of the hotel in the back of like, car and so in the back of a car so you couldn't you didn't have to go to the gas station or whatever because they they really didn't want the players traveling so guys would sell the back of their car uh like 30 packs of beer and then they'd have all the ice in the back and they'd crack open the the box of of beer and they'd pour in ice in the back and so we found out like a day later while we were traveling into guasave and it was a horrible story there was three bodies Hanging. Oh my from, God! Welcome to Guasave. Oh great. my God! He's skinned and and around the corner, there was four more bodies in a white van, beheaded. Like oh you can look that thing up. God. And we drove right under that thing, and we were asleep, like we didn't see it. So when they were telling us, like, "Hey, don't go out at night," I was like, "Ah, whatever."
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right, two more. Um, One is the camaraderie that everybody talks about with all that. I never. I mean, I played some basketball, never at eye level, whatever. I don't know. What do people mean when they say that? Is it just the screwing around in the dugout and, like, cracking on a guy when you're watching? Is it the road? Is it the plane? Is it – what is it? Why why do people say this? Other than you're just with these guys so much just by law of averages. But you're with a lot of people in an accounting firm, too. But people are like, wow, I really miss working at the accounting firm. Such camaraderie. Nobody says that.
1: I think – I think what it boils down to is you're looking at there's been nineteen thousand what four hundred and thirty-seven major league players. It's really not a lot. It's not a lot. Fill up the Pepsi Center for a Katy Perry concert. Yeah. And because it's less than one percent, and even when you go of all you know professional baseball players, what percentage of guys? I think it's what twenty percent of professional baseball players actually make it to the major leagues. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: To get to that spot is really difficult. Yeah. And everybody has had a certain grind, and everybody comes from a different location geographically. Uh, and every path is different that you're, you're kind of bonded by that. I, I always say, and I love sweat equity, the idea of if you and I were to go on a hike together, right now it's superficial friends. You have coffee together. You see each other at the workplace. It's nice, right? Like we're, we're totally friendly. We go on a hike together, a grind together, something that, you know, takes effort. And I see you do it and you see me do it. Mm. We're bound together and we'll open up and we'll share stories that we would never, ever share. And so to picture it that way, I mean, when you're, when you talk about camaraderie, it's these guys have gone through something that most people will never go through. Like it's a, it's a dream that it started as a kid and then it maintained as a dream as you went through college or high school. And then you fought through it in the minor league level. And then you get to a professional level and hopefully you're successful. And you automatically, just by being in that room, you realize what it took to get there. And then as you continue to watch people push themselves and grind and grow in their families and you spend more time with them than you do your families, like that's where it even comes closer. That's how these guys galvanize. And I think when you understand that part of the journey, of why you're a part of a fraternity, it's because it's so small.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's because it's it took so much effort to get there that, like, what up, bro? Like, if I saw you on the top of a mountain know that, knowing that you just won 14, it was like, dude, cheers. Like, I'll cheers you at the top no matter yeah. what. And that's the same
0: thing with baseball. So when you're, like, somebody like Corey Sullivan, you're going to be friends with us you when you're 85. Like, yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. something that like you currently work for. Yeah, well. but, yeah,
1: but of course, because there's, yeah. it's, like we went through something together. We were teammates. We saw each other fail. We saw each other succeed. Your kids um, grew up. Your you kids grow up together. together. Stuff, yeah. And there's something different. I mean, how many times have you ever? How many times do you actually cheer for your coworkers? You know, right? Like, never. never. Never jump it. with the TPS report. <laughs> Way to go. You never do. Yeah. And how many times do you ever celebrate with your coworkers? Like, we did it. We got the TPS report in baseball and, and all professional sports, I think that going full circle all the way back on, uh, you know, as a baseball player, once you leave the game, like, what do you miss? Do you miss a fraternity? I miss that. I'll never get a chance to win the one thing that you can't win. Right. Like the world series and that opportunity to win only happens in major league baseball. Yeah. And when you walk away from that, I can't go win. And you know, like I can't win something that's recognized mm-hmm. universally. And that you realize it took so much effort and sacrifice to win, like that's gone. I'll never get a chance mm-hmm. to win to that level. And I think when you talk about guys leaving the game, like the quest and the camaraderie to try to win that one thing that is impossible to get, literally impossible. Having that opportunity taken from you is is kind of sad. You know, mm. dang, I'll never get a chance to actually win. Alright,
0: well we'll try to come up on a, a higher note than that, which is the last question, which I, at the end of every podcast, which is a life tip, a nugget of wisdom, something that you can relay to people. And I've had really, really serious ones. <laughs> I, my, maybe my favorite one, which I've mentioned many times, is Trey Kirby, who uh, does, he's on a show called The Starters, a great NBA show. And he says, uh, as soon as you get to the airport, your vacation has begun, go have 42 Cinnabons, it doesn't matter, you're on vacation. It makes completely makes no difference. <laughs> I've had somebody talk about the way that he ties his shoes changed his life. I've had anything. So you are obviously a thoughtful and intelligent guy. You're obviously somebody who can roll with funny stuff. You crack on me when I go to the ballpark, rightfully so. Uh, yeah, anything that is very spilly, I meet you, and this is like quintessentially you, it could be a way that you bust on your friends or a way that something that's super serious or a way that you raise your kids, whatever you want.
1: Yeah, I, I've always, I've, I've lived by this. Um, I mean, I, there's, there's a couple things. Like on baseball bats, I used to write, live your dreams. I meant that, too. Mm -hmm. Like, just try to live your dreams. Whatever that dream is, like, live it. Then I met Vin Scully, and Vin Vin and I sat together, and I used to always sit with him in the clubhouse in in his press box uh, in the booth before every single game, which was super cool to go and spend time with him, and he'd go over his notes, and he's left-handed, and he'd write it, and it's always really hot in the booth. And uh, him and I, we finally got a chance to, like, sit and talk, and I was like, Vin, can you help me? Like, what do I need to know? To become a great broadcaster. And he goes, you know, Ryan, like Red Barber, he brought me in and he gave me this opportunity to call this baseball game at a Boston Red Sox, uh, at the Boston Red, uh, Fenway Park. And it was, I thought it was going to be in the press box and it wasn't. It was on the roof of Fenway Park and it was for this night game and it was freezing cold. It was a fall, you know, it was a crisp fall and I didn't have a jacket and I thought my broadcasting career was over before it started. And the next day he goes and he sees Red after getting that opportunity. And Red says to him, he's like, how do you think you did? And he's like, I don't I'm terrible. He's like, you did great. Oh, And he goes, well, what? why? He's like, well, I know you were up on top of the press box and it was freezing cold and you didn't have a jacket. And Vin was like, yeah, how would you know that? And he was like, well, somebody told me. He's like, the beauty of what you did was that you never told anybody during the broadcast that you were cold without a jacket. Nobody knew it. Mm-hmm. And so Vin was like, wow. So basically Red after that said, I'm going to take you on to be partner with me for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And Vin goes, wow. He's like, so the best piece of advice that I can give you, Vin is like, you know what you have that nobody else has. He's like, no, He's like you yourself. Like there's no other Vin. Like, and so he told me the same story and I loved it. And so like, you know, the, the one thing that people have that nobody else has is yourself. And so like, I've, Tried to live up to just be me. And then my final one, which is so true in life, is try
0: everything twice. Oh! (laughs) I'm a big proponent of trying everything twice. Yeah, because if you go skiing for the first time and you wipe out, you're like, well, I'm not going to break my ankle. I'm done with (laughs) it. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've definitely tried... I think I've only been proper horseback riding once. And I was, I was like 12. I was terrified. I'm like, I'm never getting back. I'm literally, getting back on the horse? I'm out. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm out. i getting yeah. back on the horse. No, try everything twice. I live by that. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's good. And also, I don't know that I'll ever get Vince Scully on the podcast. You've more or less stolen Vince Scully's life wisdom. I've now had Vince Scully on the podcast. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> I miss, I miss that orange guy. He was so great. <laughs> I like the bit that he did during the World Series. It was cool. Yeah. Uh Spilly, you're a delight, and uh, we had talked about doing this probably since like the Eisenhower administration. Yeah. I'm, fi- I'm glad we finally got <laughs> to do it. And I will go on a hike with you because you seem like the kind of guy that I would want to know, and I want to be in the trenches with you. And I will never, ever. I played one year of little league. That'll not happen. <laughs> so we'll see what we can do. Thank you so much for your you, time. Got it, John.